Welcome everyone to the Brandon Adams podcast. This is episode 33. I'm with Daniel Cates, otherwise known as Jungle Man. Jungle, how are we doing today? Where are we? I'm doing, I'm doing it, doing my thing. We have so much to talk about. I don't even know if we can fit this in in two hours, but I'm, I'm going to try. We're going to try to go for about 90 minutes. Um, we have to talk about Galfont quite a lot. We have to talk about your new app, your new foundation, and all of the crazy stuff uh, you've been doing dur during quarantine. Um, we have to start with Galfont, okay? You and I both decided to take on Phil Galfond in his challenge. Um, I took him on very early, like when he first put it out on Twitter. Um, and my thinking was that I needed a bit of a challenge um, to get myself to do a lot of studying, which I thought would be a fun and productive thing to do. Um, and I thought that the price was very good. And it seemed to me that he hadn't yet put in the work himself. Um, so it wasn't known how much he would improve. Um, we all know now that he did put in the work and he's, he's crushing. Um, <clears throat> you took up the challenge when, and the why I think listeners probably know you are one of the all time crushers in every game, both live and online, probably. I don't know if it's fair to say a top 10 winner in poker, um, but certainly known as a crusher in online over a very long period of time in a very wide range of games from heads up poker to full ring. Um, <clears throat> so give us the background on when you decided to take up Phil. Um, what you mentioned is not, well, thank you, by the way, for the compliments. What you mentioned is not why I decided to take on Phil Gotham, to be honest. And perhaps I have not communicated myself clearly on why I've decided to take him on. I decided to take on Phil Galfond because he just seems like such a nice guy. He's always nice and everything. And, you know, he's he never does anything wrong or gets angry. But I see through his fucking bullshit. Okay. I see Mr. Falcons for what he really is. And he needs someone to take his fucking ass down. He fucking tricked you. You like you said, you thought he didn't put it in the work, but he put in the fucking work. He tricked your ass, man. This is what this guy's capable of. He needs someone to take his fucking ass down, clip his fucking wings, and just bury him in the sand. Okay? And he needs he needs someone fucked up like me. So it was it was an underlying killer instinct that you couldn't resist. The challenge was out there and you you had to take it. Yes. It's it's Partly, that's part of the answer. It was a mix of a killer instinct, but applied for a greater good, if you if you put it that way. It was more like I saw something fucked up and I had to do something about it. I was I was the bad guy. I was the good guy with a uh, with bad intentions, with, uh, with attitude and money to to take a shot. Metaphorical, so give me, with a give metaphorical me the, gun. Give me the timing of this decision. Um, you know what? Decisions like this aren't about timing. They're about going with your feeling. They're not about planning. They're about uh, they're they're about what's what feels good at the moment. Yeah. The details. Um, 
he was offering a, a generous price to basically anyone who did any instructional videos at any other site. That was that was basically who he offered it to. Uh, and he offered prices four to one plus. Um, you did not get four to one, right? Because of your record, you got what? No price? What did you get? I got no price. Okay. And let me tell you something. I don't want a fucking price. This is not about the money. This is about this is about justice. Okay. This is about justice and what's fucking right. And you know, I don't need the fucking price to take this motherfucker down. And how how many how many hands? I don't even know how many we've played. I think we played ten thousand. You played ten thousand already? No, no, no. We played one thousand. Excuse me. We played. Okay. 10, so basically, That's like right. one big session you've played. Yeah, that was about right. And you're playing 10,000? No, I don't think so. I think it's like 2,500 or something. Oh, a very small number. I see. It's going to be short, fast, and fucked up. So the side bet, it it might mess up a challenge that short because um, the side bet considerations will come into play pretty soon. That's true. Well, we'll get to that road when it comes. And heads up PLO, is it... It was one of your very best games, right? Like, where does it stand now? I know you've shifted priorities to mixed games a bit. Yeah, I, um, uh, it's, you know, it's a game I play here and there. But you put it, you put in hundreds of thousands of hands of heads up PLO. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And okay, I think of your style as just game theoretic based on your wiring, right? Like you just have such a a game theoretic orientation. You're such a, a, a strategy thinker. Like it's, I would imagine that the transition to solvers would become second nature to you because you could just sort of look at the solutions and they would make a lot of sense to you straight away. Um, am I right about this? Like you're very, yeah, you're yeah. a very technical player, basically. Yeah, I mean, I am analytical by nature, and uh, yeah, I, like the solvers made a lot of sense. I mean, they eventually made sense. I remember when I first looked at them, it was like, it was like, where have you been all my life? And uh, I remember actually right before that, I was struggling, and then I looked at the solvers, and then things just started coming together, and it was just like. It was just magic thereafter, and I just started winning. Yeah, I, I can see that. Well, you were winning before, and then you were probably winning more after. Actually, you did struggle in 2015. I That was one of my worst years of my life, actually. And I had, actually, that was a really weird year, because I had this crazy downswing. Then all of a sudden, I mean, it was partly thanks to the solvers. All of a sudden, I just went on this crazy upswing. It's just, no matter what I did, I was just fighting and fighting and losing and losing. And then out of fucking nowhere, this upswing came. And uh, if this upswing didn't come, I actually might have, uh, I might have lost some massive portion of my money, like 80% plus of my, my net worth. And was this a year where you were playing primarily mixed games or big bet? I was playing some mix, yes. I was playing big bet too. It was mixed. It was more like one of my earlier years in mix. And I was playing... Chinese. I uh, I sure thought I was pretty good at Chinese, but you know, it's one of those situations where variance is high, and 
you know, you double check things and they still, they still check out and you still lose and you're like, why am I losing? And then you still play and you keep losing. And then, I don't know, I guess, you know, sometimes poker just has a mind of its own and you just lose for fucking ever as, as you probably know. Um, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a weird year, but it was, it was many, it was a perfect storm of a lot of things. My Galfon challenge, we, we played live um, he was up 16,500 with 245 hands remaining. Um, we decided that, uh, we would scrap the side bed. He would keep the 16.5. He was up and then we would go into this online bet where it would be, uh, 10,000 hands and he would lay me 400 K to 100 K, uh, playing 10,000 hands of 100, 200 PLO. Um, he accepted that because he really wanted to do another online challenge and clearly he thought the edge was there. So um, <clears throat> we started that challenge like the very next day, knowing that we would play through the weekend and then take a long gap until uh, August 22nd where we would resume and just play a thousand hands a day until it was done. Um, you called me the night before I was leaving Vegas randomly to talk about um, your app that's going to be releasing shortly. We're, we're going to talk about that at the end of the podcast. Um, but it was a random call in that, I don't know if you knew I was playing Galfond or not, but I had just sort of completed the first part of our live challenge and, um, and you had also played. So I suggested we do this podcast and talk, talk about it. But you said, it was a very short phone call. You said one thing that shocked me. You said that Galfond amazed you with how good he was and you thought that you had a negative win rate against him. I don't know if you want to disclose what you mentioned in that in that call, what you thought the, the rate was. And obviously it's something that's subject to change if you um, work on the game, but he sort of surprised you with how good he was. Um, so... Review that call a little bit, first of all. And second of all, talk about maybe the history of, I'm sure you and Phil have played before many times over the years. Like you guys have both been in the same, the same games for over a decade. Did I say that? I, uh, um, sometimes I, I say stuff. Like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I, uh, yeah, uh, Fucking Galfond <laughs> Falcons. Uh, yeah, he was winning at a win rate of that, but that doesn't mean that I'm still taking his ass down. All right, just the uh, uh, all right. Maybe maybe he got me that session. Okay, maybe he did. Maybe I maybe I pulled that. Damn it, I uh, got me all. Well, you got to help me out here. I'm trying. I'm trying to determine where what what my strategy is for the ne for the next part of this of this match. I need to know. The, I, I need to know things. Here, here's the big picture of what I'm asking, Jungle. The big picture. The serious question is this. The serious question is that I think that ten years ago people had an understanding of what win rates 
were. And like you knew roughly based on a large sample of play, what your win rates were against certain classes of opponents, right? Like you might've had back then you were, you were the best or, or one of the best players. Um, so I know that you had categories of opponents and let's just say your tier a opponents who were just worse than you in your estimation, you, you had a pretty good idea of what your win rate against those players would be over a large uh, number of hands. And you also would have an idea what your win rate was against the tier of players below them, the tier of players that maybe the tier A players would beat for a few big blinds per hundred or whatever. Um, so I think we had a good sense of win rates 10 years ago. Yeah. And, and logically... If we're all getting better because of analytical methods and technology applied to a static game, right? If we're all studying basically similar material and we're all getting much better, then win rates among players that have been studying these games for a long time should be going down, one would suspect. Um, the edges should be going down a little bit um but what you said to me um earlier this week suggested that maybe somehow edges are not going down at all and possibly even going up i think there's more to this story uh so i wouldn't say that they're going up exactly this is what i think happens all right, so how do I explain this? So the limits of humanity, perhaps in anything, I don't know if it's the case or not, but at least with, with uh, poker where it's so abstract and it's not very natural for people to um, learn uh efficiently especially because the real answers are in mathematics somewhere you have to use math to defy them and all this shit and it uh, requires some effort i think that given certain tools the skill level of people as they battle each other and the edges over time yes gradually becomes less and less in theory i think it actually kind of stagnates and and whatever i think uh it doesn't uh it doesn't change as much as people think just because I think people get trapped in a lot of like um, because of how incentives work and because of the way that people work, they get trapped in certain, certain um, emotional issues and in um, just ways of doing things. Like if you're already crushing, it's kind of hard to like say, Oh, I could crush a little harder if I worked a lot harder, if you know what I mean. Now, if we throw in a new tool that is readily available and now suddenly everyone has access to and it's very powerful, then the limits of what edges can be now expands. And I think that if someone uses that tool to its full capacity, they can now have a big edge. But again, the same principle of what happens you know, before that with how the edges will 
gradually become closer and closer uh, will still happen again. Just basically a, a new curve has formed once there's a new curve in poker. And I presume this is also true of humanity. Like if you look at revolutions and stuff, like there's, you know, there's lots of like, I think with technology, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, like exponential progress for a while and then whatever, like the progress stops and you throw it, throw in a big discovery and something else happens. But I could just be talking out of my ass with that. You're saying that Galfond, who is of extremely high ability and has always been one of the top players, he, he either had already done a little bit of work or saw a learning path where he could take advantage of new methods and because he was quick to jump on that learning path and make quick progress, um, his edge against people that are also on that learning path um, might be higher than it's ever been before, possibly. Because the new technology opened up potentially higher, higher win rates than have previously existed. No, I don't think uh, I don't think the win rates are higher than are likely higher than previously existed. I just think they're relatively quite high. Uh, I would guess actually they're probably less now. I don't know what's going on as far as poker, but um, they're just you know there's they're gonna be high. If, you know he's got the game figured out. He's got the game on lockdown. And let me tell you something. All right, this guy's extra fucking devious. One thing you really have to consider is this guy's how devious he really is there's none I, I it's i i don't know if i've seen anyone as sick and twisted as him other than me but i'm not half as devious as him that's the only thing what you what you see is what you get with me okay if jungle and phil were about to like lock it down for a month in a 25k hand challenge um let's let's just say you're going on lockdown in a all of September against Phil, almost a thousand hands a day. What is your um, what is your preparation for September first, and then what does your day to day look like in September? The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to find a hotel. This hotel is going to be empty with only people that that uh, are serving me, I'm going to be in total lockdown. You know what? Matter of fact, forget the hotel. I'm going to find an apartment. I'm going to have people see me and bring me food every day. I don't want to like see... I don't want to see the sunlight when I'm battling this guy, okay? I want to be in a basement somewhere where no one can fucking find me, okay? And I'm going to start every day with... 30 minutes of meditation. Then I'm gonna, then I'm gonna do a bunch of exercise, and I'm gonna do some breathing exercises, and then I'm gonna do some visualization and be clipping his fucking wings. Um, then I'm gonna write. Then I'm gonna look every day at his at my uh, my biz at my um. How do I explain about like what I'm gonna do to him? Your visualization of clipping wings. Yeah, but that's only part of it. That's like, that's only part of the visualization. I mean, I'm also going to like, you know, uh, 
I'm gonna like crush and destroy. Definitely crush and destroy. Um, I'm getting too excited thinking about it. Uh, I'm gonna stomp him into the ground. I'm gonna break his beak. All that good stuff. Um, what else? I'm gonna be eating super healthy for this challenge. I'm gonna peak of performance. I'm gonna go to bed at exactly 9 p.m. Okay, I don't, and he's gonna have to work around that schedule because, I mean, that it's just it's just how it just has to be done. It just has to be done. And so you're gonna exercise every day, not go outside. Not go outside. No, no sunlight. I'm sure you're familiar that one of the difficult parts of a challenge is that you do to some extent set the hours. And so you can't really uh, break and let off steam, right? So my question is, you start your day, you do the meditation, the exercise, you start your first session, let's say it's from 10 to noon. And the beat clipping is not going well at all. You, you are four buy-ins down in 30 minutes. That's not good. And by, by agreement, you have to keep going. Um, now, I think, I think listeners know that you are a fake tilter. You like to uh, throw a pretend fit, like everything is crashing down around, but then your play does not alter. Um, I believe this is general consensus. It's, it's real. <laughs> it's real tilt. It just doesn't affect your play, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you are deeply angry. Rage. It's rage, but there's something in your mind that prevents it from spilling over into your play. Is that correct? Yeah. Like, you don't it's, pure tilt. I tilt a little bit, but there's more subtlety to that. If the game really mattered, it's unlikely that you're having many episodes of Pure Tilt. Yeah. Okay. Um, but nonetheless, this is a tough start to the day. You're down four buy-ins in the first 30 minutes. Um, what's going on in the, in the mind and body? A deep fire is burning in me. It burns brighter and brighter the more buy-ins I'm down. Let's put it that way. The more and more I want to win. But sometimes you want to win too much, right? You got to control the flame. Would your like aggression or passivity likely change in any way? Uh, would you would you tend to be uh slightly more aggressive or would there be any change in your game? I would say if I didn't know the answer, I would probably be a little bit more aggressive but uh i do bear that in mind and there's some there's some uh psychology that goes along with this is that something that you try to do knowing that a lot of people respond passively with a downswing you try to counter that by by being a bit more aggressive or you're saying that because you're a little bit angry you'll just tend to be a little more aggressive let's put it this way if the decision is close if the decision is close, and I don't think uh, being aggressive matters, it does, of course, or people are aware that maybe you're more aggressive, then I will lean towards aggression. But it's not a huge difference. It's it's It can't be huge because then people will watch this podcast 
and they'll be coming for me, man. Let me tell you, I know what it's like to be hunted, okay? <laughs> I do. I do. You're laughing, but it's it's no laughing matter, okay? I know what it's like to hunt and to be hunted. I've been both. It's it's kind of weird to be both, but I get it, okay? I'm, you, that's what it's like in the jungle. Okay, so my match... Um... Live moves at such a, a slow pace that nothing is really happening in terms of the dynamics of emotions and stuff like that. Like they're really, it's just, it's not that many hands at the end of the day, right? Like we played a thousand hands or something. There were questions that I had that in my mind got sort of answered with live play. Um, in particular, I really did the work. Like I studied a ton taking lessons and um, working with coaches on solver stuff. And Corey Mikesell had a great book that came out about heads up PLO. Um, amazing, if expensive book on heads up PLO. I read that book three times, studied many parts of it. Um, and so I had questions in my mind like, um, okay, relative to previous strategy, I'm going to be um, three betting pre-flop much more often and, and having bet sizing post-flop that's somewhat different than I had done previously. Um, and I had questions like, is the, am I going to be uncomfortable on some river decisions because I haven't seen some of these spots before? And, and basically... Um, I, I wasn't uncomfortable. I was able to translate the work that I had done to the table uh, very much to my satisfaction. And I was comfortable at trying it out online. Um, the Friday session, um, I was a bit worried about the speed of online play. World Series of Poker in particular is very, very rapid uh, play. So playing two tables, heads up. I was a bit worried about that. Um, I, reviewing all my hands, I was quite comfortable with my play, except one clear mistake where I basically had top two sets and the flush came in on the end and it was a, it was a spot where I, there were stack to pot ratio was like, Point eight, and I clearly shouldn't have bet, and I did. And that, that was sort of a one clear-cut mistake. Um, but otherwise, I was happy with my play. Generally, kind of ran bad and, and had um, a minus 75K session. That session was only 350 hands. Session two, um, we play very close to 1,000 hands, and I play my absolute A game the entire way. Um, just super happy with my play and won uh, 45K um, or a bit more. I think I won 48K to be down 27 for the challenge um, and just feeling very good. And in general, I was aggressive, front-footed all day. And... Um, we can maybe go into it. Maybe it's not a good idea to go into it, but I think it's against Phil, especially important to have that orientation. Um, 
And then um, on Sunday, we had again set out to play a thousand hand session. And we play an early pot where I, I three bet um, ace jack five five double suited properly. He four bets. I call and the flop comes queen five five with two diamonds. Um, neither of us have diamonds, but he's got he's got a aces with the backdoor flush draw. I check raise, we get it in, and he wins that pot right with an ace on the end. Um, so he was drawing to a queen or an or one of the aces, and um, that was painful because had I won that pot, I would have been up. I think at the time, 25K on the challenge as a whole, and I would have maintained my my front-footed orientation. Um, after that, what happened is I didn't have any tilt, in my opinion. I, I did, though, move from the front-footed orientation that I had to just the slightest bit of back-footedness, the slightest bit of passivity. And that was a very bad place to be against Phil. Um, and then the rest of the session, I was a little bit passive. I ran bad. And then on the whole, uh, I think it was minus 110 uh, on the day or 107 or something like that. Um, so a very bad day and puts put me in not a great place in the in the challenge as a whole, um, but it was a it was an interesting form of tilt that I haven't I haven't really experienced exactly that before. It it, it came about because it happened so early in the session and we were playing such a long session, um, and it turned out to be a, a harmful place to be to err towards passivity. Um, and it's interesting. So you say when you have that experience of this awful beat that clearly gets you a bit fumed, you know that the instinct is to respond passively. And so you will respond at the margin aggressively. I actually have the tendency to be a bit more aggressive when things are going um, kind of annoyingly for me. Uh, unless, but it, there's some psychology in the situation so it's kind of important, some psychology and leveling. So it's kind of important to be aware of that. Um, I I think you're kind of, the way that people would normally put it is that you're overthinking things. I don't really like that statement for multiple reasons. Uh, but I think in a better way to put it, would you put? I think you're putting a little bit too much emphasis on being on your overall aggression and how passive you are. Uh, I don't think that's really going to be too big of an issue in this spot. Okay. Like things like this matter more when people have very polarized strategies, at least looking at it from that like specific of a vantage point. What would matter is, is uh, seeing how your strategy aligns more with his in many different uh, areas. Um, I don't think being too passive is necessarily a problem. See, I, I think I might disagree um, because... Just take an example of like blocking bets on the end, right? The, um, what, let's, let's just say small blocking bets of 
one fifth pot on rivers, right? What what a, a solver likes to do when confronted with that behavior would be um, to be very aggressive, to almost treat it as if the one fifth pot was like a check. It right? is very close to a check. I, I agree. So what the solver would do would be um, to have a a very aggressive raising strategy in position against that blocking bet. And a failure to have a very aggressive raising strategy would be a form of passivity that would be quite costly, right? In the solver's estimation. So if you're, if you're knowing what the correct solution is and then erring on the passive side in a lot of different situations, that can be very costly. Yeah, that's assuming that he plays accurate. Yeah. Then, well, if you're too passive, yes. That's true. That's assuming that he is, um, that he plays, he plays optimal. If he tends to hero call too much, I guess you can assume that, yeah, he plays optimal. In that case, yeah, being too passive is a problem. But my view on Phil is that he, he knows optimal, but l- likes to slip into exploitive territory quickly yeah that's the right way to do it i think he has mentioned publicly that he found his results were poor in his early challenges because he constrained himself too much to solve her thinking so for instance let's just take a for instance like in position on a, a lot of different rivers the solver likes to constrain themselves to betting pot right he does not do that very very much um or he he will quickly alter that he's he and he said publicly that when he didn't limit himself and allowed more flexibility in his play his results improved um put another way um the known costs of deviating from the solver strategy in certain views in other words like opening yourself up to opponent exploits um, never really came into play for him. Um, So, uh, and it also is possible that he recognized the type of study that I had put in and tried to take me out of those comfort zones once he realized where the comfort zones were. So he might've seen that I had some comfort zones that were based in theory, and then he changed his strategy to take me out of those comfort zones by messing with sizing and things like that. That seems like a decent idea. When you try to think about a heads-up opponent, let's just suppose we have this 25K match, 25K hands match. In the biggest picture terms, how do you think about a heads-up matchup? Like, how do you think about classifying players and classifying the way that you might go about a match. I actually realized that what I said earlier is not accurate because populations tend to have various tendencies that cluster around not being, you know, for whatever reason, uh, anywhere near GTO. So actually what the best approach is to already start exploitatively based off of the information you're given 
to counter what you, where you expect this person will lay on the population. Uh, so a lot of regulars have their own tendencies and don't follow GTO in a lot of the similar spots. Um, and then, so I would start off there. I'd start off exploiting where I thought someone would be in the population, you know, and most regulars do fall under various categories as I just mentioned. And then from there, I would see how they adjusted and I would either go, I would either adjust in all these sorts of spots. If I was trying really fucking hard, like uh, with Mr. Fucking Falcons, I'd like start taking notes on all the spots and, uh, you know, basically see where he lays on uh, at GTO or kind of estimate. If I didn't know, I would pick GTO um, or rough, roughly to that. And yeah, that's what, how I do it. And I basically figure out where his leaks are. One thing, yeah, like the idea you mentioned is to try different things to see how he adjusts. Like that's a decent idea. Like you could do that a bit to like see where he, how he uh, does these sorts of things, but it can get really complicated when you're looking at. The better player has an advantage in that they should be able to uh, test adjustments more easily. They should be able to play around with sizing in ways that are more strategically robust. So I do suspect that he's um, trying these ways. He's, I think he's different than most world-class opponents in that um, in a heads-up match, if you were to think about it as like a battle between equity realization and equity denial, right? Like if you take the Galfond match with Doug Polk as an example, um, that was a match where Polk won on equity denial. Um, he just crushed in non-showdown pots. Um, and Daniel, like, I don't know the details of the match well enough. I haven't seen Daniel's whole cards. I don't know Daniel's strategy, but... Um, it's, it seemed like because Doug had a, a better str overall strategy, he was able to crush on equity denial. And in general, I think most heads up matches in the history of the world have had the better player winning by virtue of crushing on equity denial. Like, um, the better player, for lack of more precise terms, runs over the lesser player effectively. Uh, I don't think I agree with that. That used to be true, I think, but now I think it's less true. I also don't know. <laughs> I yeah. haven't like studied these sorts of things. And I, I think, honestly, it's this can be like a bit of a trap because also um, a lot of what happens in the non-showdown, like a big part of where you lose money in non-showdown is if you do things like, you know, three bet, you see bet too much and you give up. Like that's one way to, to lose. So it's like, it's not so much about, I mean, you could say running someone over, but it can be more like you put yourself in these situations that uh, kind of screw yourself over later. Whereas you could like, you know, save a lot of equity or you could choose a strategy that, 
makes it harder for the other guy to run you over, uh, harder for the guy to exploit you. Um, so it can be a little bit misleading to say that you're getting run over. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't think it's as necessarily big as issue as you think. Um, definitely, definitely it's possible to beat someone if like someone's going completely crazy or someone's, uh, going, winning a lot and not showdown. I just think that in that balance between equity realization and equity denial, um, Phil has always had a style where he's won, he's won through equity realization, through defining his opponent's range well, making smart call downs, um, and not being especially aggressive, not being especially um, prone to try to win a matchup through equity denial. Um, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong in that assessment. That's just that's just been my my general uh that seems like it makes sense yeah i can i can agree with that i don't think he's like super aggressive necessarily yeah. only in only in his under he's got a large amount of underlying aggression clearly he's very competitive um, you've got to look beyond his eyes you got to look deep into his eyes and see it i think i, I it sounds to me like a 2500 hand match does does not do justice for you guys and that the world is owed um a twenty five thousand hand match the world's gonna get what's coming to it at, at what price would you take a twenty five thousand hand match at what price would i take a twenty five thousand match some things are priceless some <laughs> things are priceless <laughs> just just all i really want it's to see him fucking stamped onto a board, nailed onto a board, his whip, the multiple nails, wing on one, wing on one side, wing on the other spot side, and fucking X marks on his eyes, and just, you know, I want to see him knocked out and pinned on something. That's all I want to fucking see. I want to have a dart board with his face on it. I want to throw a bunch of darts at it. That's what I want to do. Phil's feeling pretty high at the moment. I think he he might lay you that three to one or four to one. You, the world needs to see that. I think, I think the world needs a big price on a twenty five k match, where you lock yourself in the basement. Got their price. I wasn't, oh shit! I mean, yeah. Well, you'd have a lot of backers in the world getting that price. That would be a fun match, especially if we could get a live stream of the basement. Why is no sunlight optimal? It fills you with nothing but despair and. The more you want the sun, the more you want that hope, the more you desire it, the harder you work. Okay. I mean, let me tell you something. I will be doing, I will be hitting the gym. I will be working out and stuff, keeping my body fresh. I'm going to be, I also don't want to be tempted by the delights of the outside world, such as, you know, friends, uh, you know, candy. I don't, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know it exists. I want to actually, I want to know it exists and I want to, and I want to crave it. Do you have in the basement, um, like some bottles of wine, some edibles to help you go to sleep, some, uh, some coffee, some, like, is there, is there anything going on in the, all that's going to be there is like, I'll tell you what, I will give myself hummus because that's my thing. That's my thing. But after that, it's just going to be unsalted chicken. No salt, no salt. I want to be getting cramps. 
I just want a little cramps. I want a little pain, in fact, about how healthy I'm going to be. I'm, I'll have some apples. Okay, fine. I'll have some apples and some blueberries, whatever. But I want I want spinach. I'm going to be I'm going to be machine. I'm going to forget my humanity, forget fun, joy, all these things. I just want one thing in my mind. I want to be just just uh, how should I say? Just focused on you play from 10 to five okay and then you're in the basement you need to wind down a little bit or do your do your study uh what does your routine look like bedtime is nine o'clock what does your routine look like from 5 p.m to 9 p.m 5 p.m to 9 p.m are you reviewing hands are is that your plan go through all the hands i'm gonna go through every single hand every single one I'm going to go through every single decision I can make. I'm going to like, I'm going to question whether maybe I should have called pre-flop every single hand that what 2000 hands for whatever. No, no big deal. I'm going to go through every single fucking one. Not enough time. Fine. Fuck it. I'll still do it. I'll still find a fucking way. If it means taking his ass down, I'm going to sim them all. You've got to have them all. You got to know all the combos when it comes to the Sims. Okay. I'm going to be hitting the Sims. I'm going to have like, monitors i'm gonna be dreaming about calculations and gto and math and like ah i'm just gonna that's that's all i'm gonna be thinking i i just want to like wake up and like not even be able to speak english because i'm thinking about fucking sims and and and, and math and mixed strategies and like checkery's river like ah I, that's how i'm gonna do things okay it's gonna be fierce it makes sense that you're a lifetime just crusher just all-time crusher that it, it it makes sense. This is an instinct that I didn't fully know you had. Um, okay, I'm done sucking the conversation for my own purposes. Um, we're moving on to other topics. You have recently invested um, 80 plus thousand dollars in an app that frankly sounds like an amazing idea. I, I want you to give a quick summary. You have a launch strategy that uh, maybe just as Facebook uh, launched in a tight circle at Harvard and other places, you plan to launch into the tight circle of the poker world. Um, give us the quick lowdown on the app. One day, you know, I was tired of getting screwed over in all those various ways. And I said, you know what? I'm going to fucking do something about this. And that is actually what happened, kind of. <laughs> I'm going to throw some money at this and see what happens. Um, I don't know if it was really the best decision ever, but here we are. Apps are no joke. They they cost a lot of money. Okay, so I'm going to need some help with this because I don't really know. I, I've built stuff. I'm learning on the way. I have people helping me. I have people actually interested in this project. Um, but it sounds like a lot of people like it. I want to live in a world where... where there's no more cheating. There's no more fucking bullshit. There's no more slow paying. None of this goddamn shit. Okay. It's all a fucking, it's all blows. I want to live in a world where people are accountable for the fucking bad things they do. Okay. And this is, you know, I'm, I don't know a whole lot about building apps, but this is how 
I've decided to go about it. I want to, I, in nature, we have a system that deals with people who do bad things. We've got, you know, it's called gossip and people have reputations and it's all kind of nebulous, but it exists. And I want to make this reputation thing real so that no longer can people who do this fucked up shit hide. Okay. And so I decided to make an app that does this. Basically you rate the reputations of people. If you have a good, a good transaction, good experience with them, you give them a good rating or whatever. If you don't, you give them bad rating, um, depending on what they did, et cetera. It doesn't have to be perfect in that sense. And kind of perfection is sort of implied in the lack of perfection. Anyway, so the main uh, purpose of this app will be to, it will be to basically emulate what happens in nature, make it much faster and much clearer. We're basically, we're gonna give some kind of value to reputation. It doesn't matter. It'll be um, what it exactly is, but it'll be probably a rating like Uber. It'll be basically like Uber for poker. And I hope that it can work in other fields as well. Um, I don't want to limit it to, I don't want to limit it to um, poker necessarily, but it makes the most sense to start with poker and focus on that. I think I'm going to go through with, I want to make sure there's enough demand for this thing for going through with it first. Um, and I haven't launched it yet. It's not ready to be launched, but it's kind of close to be tested. I, uh, there's a number of problems that still need to be solved. Um, but in theory, it should work, right? Because that is what keeps people in check is reputation and gossip. People should not be allowed to do bad things and get away with them. There should be consequences. The question is, how do we make the consequences a matter of justice and not a matter of revenge? So this is what this app will do. And it so happens, actually, that all along, my real passions were uh, beyond poker, like what the truth is and what and about justice, what's fair. And so this app rep represents that. That's one, one uh, aspect of it. But there's more to that. What also is fair is, and you know, in poker, it's kind of like, who's the best in the world, blah, blah, blah. We don't really fucking know. But another function of that, of this app will allow, you know, people to figure that out. And we've got a number of ideas to, to put this in the works. I think that's the second function of it, but I think that one will be a little bit more lucrative. Um, but uh, I hope that, you know, even if, even if this app doesn't really work, you know, I, I do kind of have the dream one day that no longer will bad things go unpunished and people won't be allowed to um, just get away with acting like shitty people. And that goes for myself too. Um, yeah, and I forget where I was going with this. But yeah, that's pretty much where the app has gone. And as it so happens, even conveniently, other people have made apps that seem like they can kind of work 
together with this sort of thing. And it's gotten some support. Uh, at the moment, though, I, you know, I am looking to find other people who are passionate about this project because I can't do everything myself, such as, you know, certain kinds of testing and stuff. I can help design the algorithms because I happen to think about like how these, these kinds of things should work quite a lot. It's sort of a secret side of myself. I actually take a lot of notes on um, principles in nature and what about them um, to write about them. I uh, want to go actually in a different field than poker. I want to go, um, I want to do something with tech, but it's not really clear. Uh, and I think if this thing goes, if this thing can be, can be proved to work in poker or if it's already proved to work in other fields, uh, it could work, you know, to, to stop all the crap that happens in other, you know, in other, other areas like business, business, you know, there's all sorts of bullshit going on in dating. There's all sorts of bullshit in dating. I think something like this, I'm, I'm personally not averse to using something like this in dating. How nice would it be if like, you know, someone flakes on you and you can say this person fucking flaked on me, you know, yeah. there's like no recourse. If someone flakes on you, there's, and you're not already dating them, there's nothing you can do. You can you can talk some shit or something, but yeah, I mean it's especially valuable in towns that have somewhat transient populations, right? Like um, in my hometown, Miami, there's so many people in and out quickly or in and out for short periods of time. It's a yeah, there's no punishment for this, but you know, I believe we're all uh, we're all ultimately linked together, and I think that. Uh, you know, based on the philosophy that it is better for everyone if everyone actually does good towards each other and means well, um, trying to support that cause. Uh, and so here we are. I decided to take a foray from, I think that's the right word, from my poker career and pursue this stuff. So we have two other related Thanks. topics that we need to cover. Um, one is that you've been giving away a good bit of money to causes that you believe in and um, you can give some details there. And then the other is that you've been having some new living patterns in the post COVID environment and quarantine, very interesting stuff. We have to get into it. So uh, go into the charitable giving first. You know, I, I did a lot of crazy things over COVID that don't seem to make much sense, probably from the outlook. Um, one of them was, well, this one's not that crazy, but I started a charity foundation as much as I could. I, I can't actually accept donations because of the legal too. Uh, so the money goes directly to charitable causes and it's mostly just me giving my money away at the moment. Uh but we, we give to charities that are legit and that do actual good. And then I, at some point, realized, okay, I'm not big enough to actually focus on a million different causes, although you can kind of dabble a little bit. I think it's okay to flirt with them a bit. At the moment, uh, I am focusing on helping with providing fresh water to everyone because that's a very, that's a very important thing. And one thing about that is it's effective and cheap to do that. And, by the way, water will one day be something very, very valued, not anytime soon, but when global warming hits, uh, water will be a kind of a big deal. Um, whereas now it's taken for granted. Uh, 
And another thing is helping kids because kids need a shitload of help. And if you think about rationally what's best to help um, the world, it's actually to help kids. And even emotionally, I mean, you can look, take any route and it's like, help the kids, you know? Uh, you can't really go wrong with that one. And uh, liking kids is, you know, for, for me, they grow on me kind of slowly. I like them sometimes. They also piss me off sometimes, but uh, also good to like kids. And learn to like them, um, which is possible, by the way. I think it is, uh, even if it's like not your natural tendency. Um, that was a very awkward thing to say, but here we are, awkward and proud. Well, I uh, I, I love it. That's um, I hope you keep that stuff up. That's great intentions. Keep the awkwardness up. No. <laughs> well, okay. We need to hear about the COVID activities. We need to hear about the side bets. Um, you had a side bet against Elkie. I don't know what the side bet was. You had another side bet about six-pack abs. Go over those yeah. two side bets, the fit, fitness side bets. So my bet to have abs is actually relatively small compared to the Elkie bets. Um, it was about uh, 30,000. Uh, That's a large bet. For a fitness bet, that's a large bet. Yeah. But it wasn't like for for me. It's not like who was who was judge and jury on this. Uh, jury was a couple of English guys. I got super close. I got really close, but through like a miserable way. Did you did you um, sort of take pictures of what six pack abs would look like, and then and then and then give it to the jury and say, uh, okay, if it's close to this. Then it's a win. Have, if it's I not, have, it's a loss. I had to have four clearly defined abs. I had like, it was like super close to there. I don't know if I was like half a percent or body fat less. I would have probably got there or less, maybe even 0.3%. Um, I tried like fucking hell. How many months did you have? I had a bunch of months, but I started a little late. I started a few months in and I, I, I underestimated how difficult this would be a few months away. And I like still was kind of bullshitting like maybe 2.5 months in. And then like, I thought my, what I was doing was good enough doing a lot of cardio and eating pretty healthy, but it, I wasn't losing weight fast enough. Um, so I had about one month to do it actually. And in this one month I worked out like twice a day. I took away every unhealthy food. Basically I had protein powder, which I, I sort of wish I didn't have because it tastes so damn good compared to everything else. Um, and, uh, yeah, at some point, I mean, I was getting really exhausted and it was really, it fucking sucked. Uh, was working out twice a day is not really sustainable um, while you're like, you know, not eating that much and eating and changing your diet and all that. At some point I stopped having sodium and didn't have even salted water and drank a shitload of liquid to basically sweat it all out. And that's how I got really close, but I still failed. And of course, right after that, I binged like crazy, like the craziest fucking binge. I just ate like probably maybe even like 2000 calories of straight up, like almost straight fucking junk food right after it was, it made me realize that that isn't really sustainable. Um, and now I'm kind of, I'm trying to go the, uh, the route that will work in the long run. Um, and trying to like, I've been changing my diet. If you didn't notice, I've been eating some carrots actually. What about the Elky side bet? Water awareness. Here we go. Oh, oh, I've got a funny story. 
I got a funny story that I totally did on purpose. Um, so I've actually been on the red carpet recently. Nice. Uh, which is kind of a big deal because apparently it's really hard to be on the red carpet if you're not like a legit celebrity. And I, I guess I am. So I was drinking water and, you know, I totally planned this. Uh, and like I get out of the, we're on the way to the red carpet. And I got my suit on and all that. And I get out of the red carpet and there's no trash cans or anything or get out of the car and there's no trash cans or anything. And boom, right there is the red carpet. So it's now just a bunch of cameras on me and I've got like my empty water bottle with me <laughs> on the red carpet, <laughs> but it's actually pretty, it's actually kind of uh, perfect because I can say, well, I am saying water awareness guys. That's what I'm running with. And, uh, you know, it's kind of hard for some random white guy to stand out, uh, even though poker stands out. But, you know, if a, the white guy has a bottle, bottle of water, you know, now, now people are going to notice. So, so it was a, a, like, a movie premiere or what, what was going on? This was in the Cannes Film Festival. So oh. I'm like basically, you know, they're uh, okay in poker and famous, but they're like fucking no one of these legit celebrities I'm hanging out with. Uh, I got, I need water to, to stand out. Nice. I'm just going to have a bottle of water on me all the time now. Elky side bet. Okay. So Elky side bet. Uh, I felt like I put my money in like pretty good here and I bet a little bit bigger on this one. So me and Elky, and I thought by the way that this side bet was in line with the goal of getting abs, but it's not as I learned the hard way. Um, so we had multiple bets. We had one Bitcoin each on getting the 12.5% body, body fat, which was, but it, uh, I kind of hated the whole practice of doing this. And I was just no, I don't know what the fuck I should have done to get to that body fat percentage, but I don't know. Some, I just, whatever I was doing wasn't working. I don't know what I should have done. I should have starved myself, I guess. But even that's not working. It's, it's I don't really know what's wrong with me or I'm like not, or I don't know why it just wasn't that easy. Um, and then another bet was for, uh, Max push-ups, max plank, and the fastest incline run, a 6% incline run for a mile. One Bitcoin each in all four of those bets. So we had four Bitcoins bet on this. We made it when Bitcoin was back at like 10,000. And now it's a little bit higher. Um, what ended up happening was kind of interesting. I mean, I feel like... I didn't really, didn't really uh, do this properly, but a little bit wasn't my fault. So in push-ups, basically, I crushed him. In plank, he crushed me. And, you know, these sorts of things were actually a little bit more physiologically inclined than we thought. Uh, I, I, I agree with that. It's, it's oddly, like, talent-based. Some people can just do a lot of push-ups. How many push-ups did you do? 170. What? Yeah. Oh my. Wow. Unbelievable. You should, probably yeah. shouldn't have disclosed that. You should have held on to that information because you could have won a little money with that. Who the fuck was going to win money off me for that one? I, I don't know. I don't think people think that you can do 170 push ups, but awesome. 
Good job. Well, it wasn't consecutive. I, I, I mean, I like, you know, like hovered in the air and like bent my back and did all this shit. Uh, we did super long planks. I could do a plank for longer, actually. I'm sure. Um, but so could he. I didn't know. I didn't think of like, for example, with the planks, I've got quite big thighs and big legs. So, you know, that doesn't go very well with planks. This puts me at quite a big disadvantage to him, especially when like the form wasn't defined. He fucking stuck his ass up in the air the whole time. And that was allowed. So I, uh, you know, it's really hard to win in that situation. But, you know, I did a plank for 17 minutes and 24 seconds. And uh, he did it for like over 18 minutes, even after I failed. Uh, That's pretty awesome. But you, you can't put your butt in the air. I don't know. I mean, we didn't really, we kind of said that was allowed. So I guess I'm supposed to just lose, even though it's it's really annoying. I, uh, I mean, hard to compete with that one. Especially about, with the guy whose legs are a lot thinner than mine. What about the mile? So this was the this was an interesting one. Um, so what happened was we you know we did our warm ups and we started at 0.1 kilometers on the thing, on the treadmills. A mile is 1.6 kilometers, and so we started there and. I was beating him for about 20 meters to, uh, you know, I'm running and I'm like really feeling it uh, pretty badly. I'm like, in my head, I'm like telling myself, I'm not fucking stopping. I'm beating this guy. Uh, I was actually in a really uh, unique emotional state where even like, I was in a more, I was in a crazier emotional state than usual. Let's put it that way. But I, I refuse to fucking lose this guy at this thing. Um, and at least as as he was going, it was it definitely looked like he was he was going to lose at one point five uh, kilometers. I was beating him by about twenty meters, and then we hit one point six. I'm exhausted. I'm fucking exhausted. I'm like, fine, fuck. I got one point six. I beat him. I beat him. And then I hit stop. And then I realized, well, I saw he he kept going, and I'm like, why why does he keep going? And I see, uh, you know, Lincoln's our trainer and Lincoln's shaking his head at me. And I'm like realizing, wait, what's going on? And then it hit me. Oh, shit. We didn't start at zero. So I thought we ended the race at 1.6. And actually, we were supposed to end at 1.7. I couldn't even fucking think of what number we're supposed to end at. And I lost because I forgot that it was 1.7. Um, and I would probably beat him because I'm beating by 20 fucking meters at the end. You know, at 1.5, I don't think he's going to get 20 meters in, uh, you know, in uh, 200 meters. It's going to be tough. He has to basically run faster than me for that period. That's that's effed. That's that's messed well, up. Well, yeah. So I, I lost that. I was really mad at myself. Um, yeah, that that was really fucking annoying. So I got destroyed on these fitness bets, as I tend to do. But, you know, I'm starving as shit, and I wanted to – I really thought I could do it. But it's not my forte, and uh, good news is I um, did get in quite a bit better shape eventually. Now I'm uh, just going with building muscle, which is actually my forte. And I'm going to try to get leaner that way. My my experience, uh, having lived in London for a bit 20-plus years ago, um, my experience is that London is not – 
an easy town for fitness. Do you have that experience? What makes you say that? Maybe it's changed a lot. Back then, um, it was just tough. Like a lot of eating and drinking, not a lot of space, not a lot of gyms. Uh, much of the year is cold and rainy. Um, not a lot of fun outdoor exercise that you can do, like tennis and golf and stuff like that. Um, I found it challenging to stay in shape there. But Oh, yeah, I guess it's not the best, but there's plenty of gyms and all that. Yeah, I think it's changed a good bit. So also during the quarantine period, you said you focused on self-development and in particular things that were kind of way outside of your comfort zone. What are some of the other things you got into? I dated a lot. I guess that counts. It was really annoying during COVID because COVID is the ultimate cock block. Let me tell you, like uh, COVID is just, it just fucks you in all these strange, stupid fucking ways, especially if you're, you're me and um, not used to certain things uh, that can, can be a little awkward to deal with. At least I think that, no, it, it definitely did screw me into strange ways. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was just working on, uh, a lot of things like communication skills in various different ways. I tried acting. I had this crazy idea to become an actor. I still kind of entertain that idea for a certain one weird reason. Um, I try entertain the idea of influencing, which I think I'll kind of do over time. I still think it's a good idea to build up the Instagram. Uh, but that, I don't really see how that will lead to any money. There's some aspect of self-improvement in there, or at least there should be. Uh, I did a bunch of random shit. I did, I like did DJing. I did, uh, what else did I do? I threw a bunch of parties. COVID I, uh, parties? That was a great idea, actually. I still don't really regret that one. I think that was a good idea. I was the party host. Do you have a nice place there in London? I did have a very nice place that happened to be perfect for parties. It had like, it was secluded from everywhere. Actually, there's some crazy stories behind this. At some point we like got a midget and then we got like, you know, some, some dancers. Don't, uh, don't get this podcast canceled. We're only 33 deep. Uh, well, the, you know, there's nothing, uh, it was, was PG 13. Okay. There's nothing crazy. I didn't mm -hmm. want it. I didn't want it to transform into some fucking, you know, drug den or some whatever place i wanted to i had this idea that like i could be like the gatsby of london i still think that would be cool if whatever i had enough money to throw like this crazy party that everyone would be able to hear about but that would be a little bit too retarded at the moment uh keep dreaming the actor stuff um i think um, there are spillover benefits to going far outside your comfort zone like that. Um, when I was teaching at Harvard, um, I did some improv classes in Boston for the specific purposes of getting far outside my comfort zone. And, um, I found that it helped my teaching tremendously. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I found that improv helped me in quite some ways. I did dance classes, actually. I think the dance classes are good um, for some not-so-obvious reasons. Uh, I do think improv's good. Matter of fact, I'm doing improv shortly after this. Yeah, improv is a form of, a form of overtraining for teaching because 
it's similar to what happens in teaching, but like far more difficult, far more demanding, much more at risk. Um, so I think that type of overtraining is, is good. Well, it seems like overtraining has to happen, right? I mean, I mean, it shouldn't, I guess in, in theory, but that's like saying you should always play GTO. Um, I think it helped me quite a bit. I think I actually debated doing it like really, really focusing on it because I think it was that good. Uh, I want to do it more. It's just a little bit hard on this time zone. Or maybe it's not. Maybe I will do it more. I am going to get back into public speaking. I'm deciding to focus more on my communication skills. I like to imagine I communicated better on this podcast. Speaking of which, I was watching how I said things in various ways. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm not. Well, the best form of overtraining there would be to uh, start start your own podcast and roll out two or three a week. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I might just fucking do that. You fucking called me out. It might just happen next fucking week, man. I hate to give you advice, but I feel like the advice I've given you so far is to lock yourself in a basement in the month of September. All right. Let's, let's do it. Go to bed at 9 p.m. every night. Meditate and do exercise in the morning. Play Galphon a thousand hands a day. Getting four to one on the challenge. All right, four, four to one. one. Um, <laughs> might, that might, I don't know, four to one might just, you know, there might be some basements. Where the, I'm going to throw away the key. I'm going to throw it outdoors. Do a uh, two-part stream. One part being the actual poker play with two tables of PLO. The other part being your life in the basement. Um, and then when you're done, start a podcast. So September is the dungeon battle and October is the start of the podcast. And, uh, and then the launch of the app is like November, December. What about, I have a, I, I want to, throw a crazy addendum because I do have some plans. I'm going to live the high life and go on a private jet and dress up as a suit in a suit and like fly to fucking a poker event and make it look cool first. And then I'm going to lock myself in a basement and also possibly go to another uh, event and look cooler than my life is sometimes. Uh, this isn't the smoothest way to say that, but I think it's funny to like have that like switch yeah. Um, and I happen to also have some plans like that, but even part of this, you know, to be honest, uh, a lot of that stuff is, is really for the purpose of showing if that makes sense, but not for, because I actually care about those sorts of things. I'm getting a little sidetracked. What the world wants is the dungeon battle. That's what the world wants. The world wants a lot of things. The poker world wants the dungeon battle. And let me tell you something. I'm going to give the poker world what it fucking wants. I'm going to give it more than that, in fact. I'm going to give it fucking dead falcon served on a billboard with nails to his fucking wings. Okay? I'm the, it's going to happen. Um, and then uh, the world also wants poker to look really cool uh, for the sake of mainstream and, uh, and needs a lot of things that uh, money needs to be raised for. The question is how to do it trying to figure that out what i intend is um a part two another hour and a half two hours 
in about three weeks, maybe when you're on your uh, your poker tournament journey on the private jet or whatever, and we'll we will uh, we will talk about the dungeon battle. All right. Does that suit you? That seems like a good plan. Yeah, why not? All right. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you for having me.